Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until you have finished all the work of the service of the house of the Lord. So I guess that's what we're here for today, is do the service for the house of the Lord and bring honor and glory to Him. If anything is said today, and this is kind of ridiculous for me to talk about myself or my testimony or me and Susan, uh, as much as I don't like to talk about myself, uh, but that that shall it shall be. Um, if it it helps somebody to grab a hold of a nugget, just a small nugget, one individual here, it would be worth it. You know, if you go through your life and you meet obstacles in life, and um, it might be helpful for you to go back in Scripture to uh, read what has helped us in our life. So. Uh, a lot of the things that I have struggled with in life was was in Matthew 15 here, <clears throat> that which defiles a person. And I, I felt I've been there, I've been caught and been wrapped up there. I'm going to read that to you. Uh, in 15, when some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from and asked, from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. There's a lot of things about tradition that I've been caught up and been released and which also ties into religion, controlling your life and what it took to become free of that and free in Christ alone. And and honor your father and mother. And in, anyone who cur- curses their father and mother to be put to death. But you say that anyone declares that might have used to help their father or mother is devote to God. They are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you you nullify, nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with your lips, and their hearts are far from me. I've been there. Um, there was many times that I that I did that, and and I didn't realize because I was caught up in the tradition and caught up in the religion held above the law of God, and it controlled me, and it made me do things that was ungodly. Jesus called the crowd crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. When the disciples come to him and ask, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be plucked up by the roots. Leave them and our blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both fall into a pit. Well, I think a lot of us could say we've been there. That comes from following man instead of God. The true word of God, and that's when we fall into a pit, when we get depressed, and that's when we follow man. And that's when religion comes in, when leaders want control. They want the authority to control you with with their own tradition rules that you follow, and then they fall, and where are you going to go? You're going to fall right with them. You're going to lose everything you ever had if we depend on man. <clears throat> so, where was I? Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and this will defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defiles a person. But eating and washing hands and unwashed hands does not defile them. 
there's there's so much things. Uh, so I'm going to jump right into a few things that. Well, let's just go back to the testimony that I was asked to share. As a kid, I grew up with, uh, out of twelve. And we lived on a farm. There was a lot of hard work to be done. And there was all I knew, there was a God greater, bigger. And uh, here a couple Sundays ago, I heard, uh, I think it was Simon talked about his mother called him and said she loved him when, before she hung up. I'm still waiting for that. I can live without it. I know she loves me. I can live without the words after me. I can live without that. But I, I, I would love to hear that someday. I actually, since that, I went down and visited with her. And uh, we had some conversation that wasn't so pleasant. Um, she didn't agree with what I thought and believed. And I was just kind of kind of stuck there at the door. And I was wanting to wait for her to tell me that. I just left. She never said that. I know she loved me, but she didn't say it. It's okay. <clears throat> so now some of our life, me and uh, this is supposed to be, I guess, somewhat for me and Susan as we grew together, grew closer together as teenagers were coming up. Maybe you guys have something in your life that uh, you see yourself in and you can get freedom through Christ if I share this. Maybe I can get healing from myself more than I have. So <clears throat> there was things that took place in, in low, low moral homes and uh, as far as immorality, uh, sexual abuse. Um, so I'm going to start with myself. Between six and ten years old, um, there was immorality involved, and I was exposed to sexual immorality with a brother. He was sexually abusing me. So, and I didn't know what was going on until later. So, at the age of 17, I knew I wanted a girlfriend. I knew I needed to repent from all my past. I knew I needed a savior. I wanted something for myself. I didn't want nothing that my brothers had, that my mom and dad had. I wanted something that was specifically for myself. So one, <clears throat> I knew I was in a lost situation. So one Sunday evening coming home from church singing, I uh, took my horse out and put it in the pasture and stood there and looked at the sky. And it was very overcast. There was a lot of clouds. And, and I just looked up and I, and I seek the Lord. I said, Give me something to verify that you are who you are and that I need you to be saved. What do I, I need something. I was just at loss. And as I, as I was looking up the, the clouds, there was an opening of blue behind and I just visualized Jesus' face right there. He didn't smile. It wasn't God. I believe it was Jesus. And and it gave me chills that went up my back. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I, I am going to accept you. But then again, coming back to, oh, yeah, you got to follow the 18 articles of faith. You got to go nine times, sit there and hear that. And that's okay, like Elias was saying. But that is also in here. If you do your history and research of the 18 articles, all that was taken out of the Bible for instructions. And it, it's a good thing if, if that's all you have. But see, I believe now that that is used to control our people or the, the people they used to be with to keep them where they were. So if you don't follow the 18 articles of faith, so anyway, going down at 17, somewhere along the line, I met Susan and I knew of her as a little girl and I met her. Uh, my first impression, she was weeding the garden. And I just was, I fell in love with her immediately. She was wheat in the garden like no other. She was just hammering away. And, and I approached her. I, had, I, had a, I made a reason to go groundhog hunting so I could walk past her and, and uh, visit with her brother. You know how that goes. So uh, I had a conversation with her. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my heart just, it was just pumping, man. Yep, this Sunday night, this is going to happen. Well, anyway, we met. And my life changed after that, even though I knew who Christ was. So when, when we started dating, it was pathetic. There's so much things that was going on in that home that wasn't right. 
And I started questioning things. I started questioning things. And, and it wasn't just the father, it was the mother as well. It was, Susan was in charge of raising the children that were in the home. The mom sat in the basement with self-pity uh, fits, knowing what was going on in the home was immorality, sexual molesting, and, and like the, what the girls were going through. And it was always a setup and a trap. And, and, and so <clears throat> when I came to reality, I, I just took the bull by the horns, you should say, and, and I faced all my fears, and, and I sat down with her one Sunday night, and I said, listen, this has got to stop. Something's going on. I need to know the truth. You've been deceived all your life. You've been, you don't even know the truth. You don't even know what's right in a home. So I explained to her my, my, my childhood, similar, like, like what I'm saying is what, what I thought should have been right. Well, here she ex just told me everything. So the law got involved, and there was prison time. And so <clears throat> I'm not going to go into too many details, but if somebody wants to sit down one-on-one, -on -one, there's all day. We could do all day. We could do all day. Well, through her life, it was a tragedy of darkness and bondage and, and both parents uh, mentally. Anyway, so through the grace of God, what she became of through the word. No, no human being ever was able to help her. It was the word of God. It was Jesus. She accepted him and asked him to give her scripture. Okay, so then later on, we got married, uh, 19. We we're just, I mean, telling you what, behind the ears, we were newlyweds, and we just were having a heyday, and we were having fun. And we lived at my parents. My mom, at that time, when this all got exposed, my mom never accepted her. She tried every way, every way, shape, or form to keep me from continuing the relationship because she was telling me she was unpure. She was not, she was, she was not for me. <clears throat> I knew what I felt. I tried to explain to her how I felt about her, the love. And that's one thing I want to bring out sometime here today if we get there is the love, what love does. Overpowers. We can have the authority to move mountains, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. It's actually scripture. I forget where it is. So the love we felt for each other. Now, you got to realize there was two people that got together that were totally. Um, why should we function as a family with both of us growing up in a turmoil and the darkness? And it was the love that did it. So through Christ, we got we did it. Anyhow, we had a. Edwin was our oldest boy, son. He was born 15 to 18 months after we were born, uh, after we were married. And uh, so it was all, all good. And my mom still never accepted her. She went over for advice and then about some things. And uh, it was a chaos relationship. Then my mom accused her for things about me that wasn't true. So we just kept Dickering through life and asking God for forgiveness and, and seeking his righteous righteousness through the word. And so <clears throat> when uh, we, we had to relocate, we had to move. And that's another thing about me. Like my mom never said verbally, I love you. So I go back later on in years, I find myself, I, I know why I am, why I am and who I am. Why? Because I don't remember sitting on my mom's lap after four years old. I remember sitting on her lap at four years old, and I was embarrassed. I don't know why. It was just something we didn't do. She didn't hold us. She didn't do nothing. No stories, no bedtime stories. We had to figure that out ourselves. Uh, oh, the reason I was going there is I bound, we bounced from... <sighs> From church to church to church to church to church, trying to figure out where we belong. I found out the mother is the bride of Christ. The reason we couldn't find a church is because, like, the bride of Christ is everywhere. It's God is within us. And there is not a specific church that you can say, if you don't have faith in God, if Jesus is not in your heart, yes, you might be better off belonging to a religious group to keep you uh, in order of 
falling in sin all the time, be controlled. But if you have the Word of God and you have Jesus in your heart, then the church of the body of Christ, the mother. So relating that to the mother, some people relate the father to God. If, if, if the father was anxious, um, upset or bad, you know, got upset and sometimes even got violent, they look at God that way. Well, I can't say that about my father. He was never there. He was there, but he was silent because mom ruled the roost. She controlled everything. She, she even at supper table told, kept saying, you know, the orders out for the after supper, like what my dad's going to do. She even told him what he's got to do. So I couldn't relate to a church. So I found myself becoming free from that by accepting Christ and belonging to the church of Christ, not necessarily one specific individual church. Anyway, so we got tickets to go to Montana a year and a half after we were married. I was going to go to Montana. We were going to go out there and just have fun. I think Simon was living out there at the time. Maybe not, but uh, Paul and Sevilla were out there. And this was in October of 2001. October of 2001, we got tickets to go out to Colorado. And Susan passed out in the front of the, front of the kitchen. She was at the kitchen sink. And I, 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 I called. We, we immediately went in. And here, we, we thought she might be pregnant again with the second child. We didn't know for sure which was AJ. And the reason I'm talking about this a little bit is because it's him getting baptized today. And so, so here's where I hope you realize where faith, belief comes in. And having faith in God and believing that He will take you through the fire. You know what? If you don't have a testimony, everybody in here has a testimony, but if you haven't went through a test to try your faith, it didn't form to a testimony yet. So everybody that has a testimony went through a test. Anyway, <clears throat> so we we ended up going to the doctor, and they said, oh, yeah, she's three months pregnant, and there's no way, there's no way that you're going to live to see this child. Your heart's working 40% or 36%, and you have cardiomyopathy, heart disease. It's called dilated, and one of the three, and it's the worst that can you, you can ever have. You're, you're a cardiac attack uh patient. You, you will not live to see this child. You're going to have to do an abortion. Well, <clears throat> we didn't like those results, so we went to a second opinion. They said, oh yeah, your heart's working 30%, and you're not going to live to see this child, so the only other option is to do an abortion. We both agreed we wouldn't, and she said that I will give my life for my child. I will not do that. So we refused. Let me back up. I just thought of something how controlling people can get. Back when the day that this all was exposed of her past, her father, her homestead, on a Friday night, I was, very, I was notified they're going to take her to another community and shelter her away from me, away from everybody, away from her friends that needed her at the time. How cruel. She had friends, girls around her, her age, that were there. They cried with her. They supported her and taking her away from there. And with all that, I forgot to go back to the feeling I had. And I was a murderer. I wanted to kill them people. I was literally, I, I wanted to. And then the leaders was, were going to take her and take her away from, from me. Ain't going to happen. I'm going to fight. So... <clears throat> I know what's right. And so this was Friday night. I was notified of that. Saturday, I, I took, a, took, a, took my horse bare back. I rode 10 miles. I seen my sister, which is uh, uh, a sister-in-law to Vernon and Marianne, Marianne's brother, Johnny, <clears throat> Ella. Johnny had left her. 35 years ago, and she lives there by herself, and I'm, she's my sister, and I'm going to find out if she'd give her a home. She wasn't going to do it without the minister's permission or the parents. Or I said, no, there's nobody involved. You need to take her in and accept her 
and take care of her. She needs a mother. She needs, she didn't need a father at the time. She needs a mother to care for her. And we were, uh, I was desperate, man. I made her promise me she'd take her in. So everybody thought there, she's going to skip the community and leave. And I had no idea where they were going to take her. She didn't know. How ridiculous. And so I, Sunday afternoons, we, 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 uh, we took off and went 10 miles and visited with my sister. And that's why I left her. Nobody's to find out. Monday morning, their transportation come in, picked them up to pick her up. No Susan there. So they ran to my house, see if Aiden's there. Nope, he's at work. He went to work. But I stirred up some, some serious stuff. And I was the thorn in their flesh. Uh, and I'm still. I meet them, they turn around and walk away. And it's okay. I know I did the right thing. I still know I did the right thing because my sister loved her and was a mom to her and took care of her until, yes. So anyway, that was just some of the things through forgiveness. And then when you forgive those people, you actually have a desire to go back and help them see what the truth is and help them do right. Um, because they're still in the darkness. They're dambling around in the dark. They're mumbling and grumbling and carrying on about things that happened 30 years ago. Um, so where did I follow? Where did I, where did I stop there? When we got married, H.A., they were wanting to do an abortion. And they absolutely were not going to let us go. So they wrote letters. The doctors actually wrote letters to our bishop and told them that we are not committing them ourselves to their judgment or best judgment or whatever. <clears throat> they came and seen us. One of them said, you'd better follow the doctor's orders. I said, the doctor's orders is get out the door. I said, we have our decisions to make, and we have, we're accountable to God, not you. So we fought. We fought for AJ. And so, so time comes, and uh, six months along, more doctor tests, more doctor tests. No doctor was going to take us. We went to eight months along. I was working two different jobs trying to make a living. You know what is the most disgusting thing in life? Financially bound can interfere with your spiritual life. It's unreal. Never get into a financial situation where it'll affect your spiritual life. I was. I was so bound in financial. I had to work two jobs, and it was a disaster. So anyway, <clears throat> at eight months, Uh, I come home from work. There was a big note on the door from, from, from CHAP out of Danville. Said your wife's in the hospital in Altman and not coming home. We're going to keep her at the hospital. Well, I, I was paranoid and I, I panicked. Where's, where's the other son? Edwin was actually babysitting uh, Ephraim Yoders in Danville. We're babysitting him. They dropped him off on the way to the hospital. Well, there's my son. There's Susan in the hospital. So I take off for Canton to make sure everything's good. We were there for four and a half weeks without coming out. And uh, so we had we had uh, a hospital stay there and a lot of lot of medical, a lot of and then at her heart was working twenty-four percent, I think, and arteries were were clocked and they were like, they, there's no way we can even do surgery on the heart. And there's no way we can we can help you guys. So there was no baby. At the time, we found a, a, a heart doctor, cardiac doctor, but there was no baby doctor going to get involved because they refused it. They said, we need to do an abortion. They were still at it at eight months. And so we we call, you, some of you might know her, Frida, Frida from Walnut Creek or somewhere, Frida Miller. She said she would do it. She'd come up and take care of that part. They allowed her in there. And uh, so, and here's one thing that I want to talk to you about faith. So I always ask Susan, I said, because, you know, us men, we have our own senses, but we don't go very far sometimes because we got to go with what she says. You know, she says, you know, I don't feel good about this. I could tell you stories over and over I did that she didn't feel good about and it turned out disaster. And the story is about, 
how she felt good about it, and she has peace. And I was kind of like, well, really, why? You know, what brings you peace? You know, I want to know that. You know, I want to know why. It's just a, just a thing. It doesn't matter. And it turned out great. It was a blessing that I followed because of how she felt. So, <clears throat> so I kept asking her, you know, how are you feeling? You know, I couldn't even stay in the room the last two weeks because they put me out in, a, in another house because she was intensive care unit with all kinds of, I think there, one time there was 11 machines hooked up to a, a tube that went straight down to our heart. And they couldn't numb it because of her heart. So she was seeing double vision. She was seeing two of me. I said, are you sure? Reminds me of maybe one was son of man. I don't know, but son of God. But she had peace. Another reason she had peace, the friends we developed at the time, their faith. You know, Jesus healed somebody one time, and he said, you are healed because of the faith of your friends. So is it important who we are around? Is it important who our friends are? Um. I wasn't I was a little bit annoyed back in the surgery room when we were having when we were delivering AJ. One of our people that I didn't think were that close of friends actually called. Somehow they had were able to get into the surgery room and talk. How's it going? How's it going? I said, Why are you calling? You should be praying. He said, Well, we are. So I kept asking, So how are you feeling? Oh, I, I feel at peace. Well, you know, I could take that both ways. At peace, I'm going to pass and I can be saved. I'm in heaven and for, you know, heavily ever after. Or I can be at peace. It's all going to be okay. She didn't know. She just felt peace. It's okay. Here, all these machines that were used to, 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 to try to save her while birth, none of them were needed. They didn't use one drop of medication in her heart. After seven days after birth, eight-pound healthy boy, no medication in him. He was healthy and screaming on his way out and still screaming. Hallelujah, right? But I'm saying there was no medication needed at the time of birth. That was such amazing. That was such a good experience, man. It just lifted my heart, and I was overwhelmed with joy. Back to reality and the daily grind and finding fighting with religious and fighting with um, things. And, and then, then they came about a month later and said, Susan's socks were down and she's got a little bit too much of fuzzy hair. She needs to confess she sinned. I could go in. I don't want to go into there. I'll get too riled up. But anyway, so we got to forgive. So Susan chose and I chose through Christ, to forgive our perpetrators, to forgive our people around us that hurt us, um, and to see where it turned out to be. Um, we searched for a better church. We ended up living in down here about 25 miles. There was a point in time, we were I was satisfied with two children, but her six senses were not satisfied. She just couldn't let go. She said, Aiden, every daddy needs a little girl. I want to give you a girl. I said, I'm okay. I don't need a daughter. I want you. Right now, I want you to be a mother. To Another thing, back in the day when the boys were little, um, she could never figure this out. This comes into marriage. So she could never figure me out. That clock ain't right. So I thought it'd be dark by now, 6.30. So she could never figure me out. Like, why am I who I am and why, why I do what I do? Like when she was reading Bible stories to the boys, I cuddle up with the boys just like I was one of the children. And I just huddle in with them. And, and I told her things I never knew I said. I told her, Man, I wish you would have been my mother. You don't want me for your wife? I said, yeah, I want, I want you for both. 
man, I, I just appreciated her and, and, and cherished the idea. And I loved on that. Like I fed off of that because I never got it. That's why I didn't know till later in years. So everybody has that lost little boy, a hurting little boy. If the wife can find the husband, go in depth and find that hurting little boy. It's amazing what you can turn out of your husband. Seriously, he'll do more for you than never realized. And also vice versa. If you got hurts in your life, I'm telling you guys, find your, find your wife's hurts. Listen, figure out why she's hurting. Care for her. Listen to it. It's amazing what she'll do. She'll bloom like never before. Um, okay. So... She was unsettled, she was unsatisfied, but her heart was not in the condition of having another child. There's no way. I was not going to allow that to happen. When we left the hospital, when AJ was born, the doctor said, the only way, the only thing that kept you alive through all this is your pure stubbornness. Ain't got nothing to do with faith. He was a, he was a uh, Muslim. And Susan smiled and said, it's okay. It's not your belief that pulled me through. It's my belief. You know, we were just open. We just talked about Christ. We talked about God in the hospital to him. Anyway, in 2010, her heart started being in real bad condition, started going backwards, and, and, and we didn't know what to do. I think it was 2011 we ended up in the ER a couple times, and they said, oh, it's 70% enlarged, and and and... 70% enlarged, and I, I forget the percentage, 28% working. And uh, her heart has scar tissue on the inside, down in Hermitage at the heart doctor. And she said that, and they told us, and he looked at us and said, you'll never, you'll never uh, pull this one off. You'll, there's nothing that will heal you. There's nothing will heal your heart. You have enlarged 70% and you got scar tissue. The only thing to do is go home and write out your will. Be prepared to pass because you're a cardiac attack patient. And you could walk out the door and drop over dead. Well, yeah, we could do. And we looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? She said, maybe we should tell him how big our God is. Hmm. Yeah. So I asked him, that was when he left and came back, you think God wouldn't heal this? Oh, no, no, there's no way. I say, okay, well, then we'll find another doctor. We don't want nobody that doesn't believe in God. So we went home and we prayed, and we prayed for healing. We prayed for whatever his will was. I was given up at the time. I, a couple times throughout my life, I thought she's gone. You know, I thought I'm going to be my, I, there was just, what am I going to do? Just submit, just whatever God's will is. And I knew it wasn't only the health battles. It was spiritual battles we were dealing with. It was it was uh, making yourself believe you're, you're, you're ugly, you're, uh, you're worthless, you're, the things that she's been told all her life, you believe. You know, unless you cut them strongholds, you cut them ties through prayer, through Christ, you can be redeemed. He's our redeemer. Praise the Lord. So, um, well, now this is where, where I want you guys to really realize where faith and trust and belief comes in. <laughs> we believed and we had faith and we trusted. God will heal her and he will give us a daughter. If it's his will, you know, not my will, but your will. But you know the desires of our hearts. And we just went on life. And guess what? Went back to the doctor about a 2000, and I think it was early 2012. And he said, hmm, your records show that you should should still have a 70% enlarged heart. And it's gone. Like you have a normal heart, really. 
Yeah, your heart's working 40%. Really? No scar tissue? No. Nothing. Awesome. So we were like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hey, so that put a boost in our life and, and faith and like, hey, man, this is true. Jesus heals. Guess what? She got pregnant. Because one person believed in us, the same midnight, the mid, same midwife that delivered AJ. Because nobody took us. Nobody would have accepted us. So we asked her, would you do this again? She says, oh, my goodness, you're putting God through the test here. She said, no, no, this is his will. There was times things happened. And I'm, I don't really believe in, in dreams or nothing, but there's times something, there's a couple things happened. One of them was I was sleeping, and she, we were in bed sleeping at night, and she, you know, we were praying about it, of course. So that's why, I mean, our mind was wrapped around, and think about it. The last thing you think about when you go to bed, you're more likely to be thinking about when you wake up. So good food, good thoughts. Anyway, through the night, I started, I was laughing. And, and, and there was a baby crying. And she woke up. And I was holding a little baby girl. That was before she got pregnant. And she woke me up and said, hey, what are you saying? Like, I was holding a baby girl. She didn't see it, but she, she heard me say this. Like, here's your baby girl, Susan. I didn't know I said that. I said, I didn't say nothing. I wasn't dreaming. I still today have no idea, but it gave us hope. It gave her a vision of, hey, it's going to happen. So, well, we prayed about it, and we believed it. So, lo and behold, again, Talk about being tested. And even though we trusted, times were come that through those nine months, I, I really I had my doubts again. But she didn't. Well, then that kept me on top, you know. Well, here, everybody rejected us. All the hospitals, nobody. The stack was this thick from medical bills, uh, medical records. You, there's no way we can. We have nobody to take care of this. Uh, to you know, to handle a case like this, nowhere. Guess what? You had to go back and find out what brought you here. Why did we think we could do this? Because we believed God would do this. God would. Okay, well then that's our answer. Let's just have faith and trust that He'll take care of this. Guess what? We had Hannah. January the 12th, two, second, January the 2nd, 2013, in a barn with a midwife, not a doctor involved. Nothing went wrong. Through faith and trust and belief, we were blessed. Anyhow, I forgot that section of silence between AJ and Hannah. We were failing the leading of a child. We're going to have another child. There's no way. I said, the only option is adopt. So we started doing paperwork for adoption. Well, then the ministers came and told us, we can't do that. We're going to have to be satisfied with the children that we have. Said, so, well, it's not your choice. It's not what your calling is. It's our calling. So we went through a lot of obstacles like that in life. Some are related in here somehow. Anyhow with the people that we had to cut off as, you know, Jesus actually eliminated some friendship communications. You have to. If they don't believe the way you do, don't talk to them about it. If they want to discourage you, talk to somebody that believes the way, has the belief system you do. So anyway, Hannah was born and here we are. And uh, she's not in here right now, so I'm going to say this. Late two years old, she was like two or three years old. She was just something else at church and weddings. And Susan come home crying. I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I know we asked God for a girl, for a baby girl, and and uh, how I'm going to handle it. How do you handle a girl? They're so different than boys. And Hannah's two or three years old. Said, 
Oh, yeah. Susan said, I know I asked God for a girl, but I didn't ask her. I didn't ask him for something like this. <laughs> she looked up and said, well, mom, sometimes you just got to be satisfied with what God gives you. So that was so cute. I'll never forget that. So what comes out of the mouth of babes, right? So anyway, that's when, the, I mean, yeah, our, that's kind of where it changed from, from, I'm going to say, our uniquities, our strongholds, our religious control. We kind of had that where we needed it as far as tolerating some and not letting it control us. But that's where the spiritual battles came in with, with, with you know, the devil knew he was losing. He knew he, was, he had a short time. He was fighting all he could. So were we. So, so uh, the time came, and yeah, you know, you know, from there on, it was she's here, Hannah's here, and AJ and Evelyn, and there's, uh, uh, I think, two thousand, no, just two years ago, I think. Was it, it was a year ago she passed, December she passed away. But it was about two years ago the doctor told her, you'll probably never get any better than what you are now. She's about 42%. And and uh, it's, it's, it's not looking like you're going to have much longer, but we don't know. We said that 10 years ago. So we were just living on faith and hope and like we all are we could all drop over with a heart attack but uh yeah sharing a little bit about the evening when the day how much time is should i quit i'll share a little bit i guess i'm gonna probably choke up on a few here but <clears throat> there was things happening in our life at least two to three months before she passed I'm going to say it was September. She started really asking about, this was last year, about our finances. And I'm like, well, okay, no, it was May. It was back before May because we had a death on a job. And she got a call saying that there's a death on the job. She knew it was me. She somehow thought it was going to be me. So God was preparing us. He was making a preparation for our separation the whole year. And if you look at yourself, you figure this out for yourself, you and your wife, or your wife and your husband, where you are in life. Here's the biggest, the key of, I mean, in marriage is have each other's heart, know what they're doing, know what they're going through, love each other. And you know what? There's so much power in a couple that's unreal. Okay, come back to the, uh, uh, when, uh, When that death was in May, in May, May the 9th, 2012, from there on, she was preparing me to die. She was continuously asking me about the relationship that I have with God. Where are you? What are we going to do? We were, we were not being fed spiritually what we needed at church. We were looking for something else. Something else. This is not it. And, and, and I kept questioning. I said, what else is working in your life? What else is bothering you that is keep telling you this is not it? She said, finally, she said, the only thing that will heal me. Oh, I didn't even mention all the pills that she was taking the last 10 years. Every day, anything from 50 to 100 pills trying to keep her body and her heart in, in working. So as much as she was taking pills, swallowing three times a day, at night before she goes to bed, we hear of suicidal cases. And she actually broke down one night. She said, Aiden, I can't understand why people would commit suicide if here I am taking all these pills to live, to keep me alive. Why don't, why don't we reach out to those people more? 
if you know if we we know who they are to talk to them so there's things that so sometimes she said the worst thing that she can think of her dying would be passing you know like choking on her pills to keep her alive what she's trying to take so anyway coming back to the the last couple months i'm gonna have to finish up here last couple months there was there was things that happened. She needed to know all our finances, make sure the boys know exactly where the bills are and what needs to be paid first. And I'm questioning this. Why are you so concerned all at once about this? Why are you? It's always been up to God. Provide. I don't worry about tomorrow. I prepare. It's our duty to prepare, but it's not our duty to worry. I said something will happen. You know how are you going to pay the thirty thousand dollar bill there? I don't know. I have no idea yet. Something will take place that is unaware of us yet, it, it'll be taken care of. We trust, we, we have faith that God will take care of this. So we, I had to lay this. She was uncomfortable. She needed to know. Here, it was the Spirit telling her. That's another thing. Talking about body, soul, spirit. We could go in a whole day of session about body, soul, and spirit. So we get our new body when we get to heaven. It's whole, the soul is the most important thing. We hurt that. We know that. But what spirit is leading you? What kind of a spirit are you feeding in your life? What what is feeding you? So that is that is huge. That is the most ultimate thing in life. Who cares about your finances or how your property looks or how if your grass is mowed? That's not the key. It's preparation for going to heaven. So, and some of these songs that were sang this morning were like, dude, you're just putting a big brick on my heart there. I mean, it just hit me like unreal. It was all about life after death. As much as we want to be there, I just wanted to say, praise the Lord, let's all go to heaven, and it's all over with. It's not our choice. It's not our choice. So, down to, I'm going to say, the last week, two weeks before she passed. Okay, so two days before she passed, she uh, there was a lot of conversation we had spiritually about spirits, about battles. And she told me things that... That's important, ladies and gentlemen. Talk to your partner about what you want him to do or her to do after you die. It's it's okay. Anyway, we did that. There was a lot of conversation. And so when the day before she passed, she went to paint her, her sister-in-law's house. She come home late. She asked me if um, I could just get the casserole out of the kitchen uh, refrigerator and just warm it up. It's there, ready to go. It's like, yeah. Well, Hannah, uh, she said, Dad, you go out and do your chores. I got this. I e hopty boy. I got this pie. I said, no, I'll, I'll help you. She said, no, I'll I'll make you. I'll make supper. You go out and do your chores. I'll have supper ready for you when you come home. When you come in. All right. I come in and it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen. There was this castle there with a plate with a couple bananas and oranges and Snickers all the way around. She said. So we sat down and we prayed, thank God for the food and so forth. And as I said, amen, I got this jolt, like a shock in my heart. I'm like, oh, no, because I was like thanking God for her and, and praising her, too, for doing a good job. And that was the sweetest thing. But it hit me like a ton of brick. It, it came to me and it said, the Spirit said, this is what you're looking forward. This is what you have to look forward, just you and Hannah. I was like, no, there's no way. That's not, that's, that's, nope, it ain't happening. And I begged God to keep her. I did. I begged God to keep her life, to save her for me. We need her. So anyway, I figured it would work again. I never gave it a thought. It wouldn't. So... That evening, she was watering the plants in the kit in the living room, and I said, "Hey, just just sit down. Let's chat. Let's have a good old chat again about life." She said, "Oh, you you know how I uh, how I how I love to do my plants. It's a stress reliever." And I said, "Yeah, I know." I said, "One of these days, I'm gonna you, tomorrow night." I said, "You're gonna be surprised." This is what I told her. This was the night before she passed. Tomorrow night when you come home, I, I'm going to be sitting in a flower pot. And I said, that way I get a little bit of attention too. You know how we are. But uh, so 
Then she said, do you even know? See, this is all through the Spirit, guys. This is all through the Holy Spirit leading us, teaching her, telling her she's leaving. And he, he said, do you even know how to take care of my plants? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I can put water in. I said, no, I don't. Tell me. So she said, put a little bit of water in every, every week, once a week, and then after you've figured it out, some are going to need more than others, but you'll figure it out. I know you can. She was empowering me yet. Just the day before she passed, she was still encouraging me and empowering me. So that morning, we had a, I'm not going to go into details what conversation we had. It's pretty personal. It was amazing. It was awesome. I'll never forget. I go back to that morning many times, but here's what I want to say. Make sure you have good words with each other before you leave each other at the house. Always give each other a hug and a kiss and tell them I love you. And that's, we didn't, I mean, we went in depth about life about how I helped her. Now I'm talking about it. Anyway, she came over and gave me a hug. She said, Aiden, I, you have no idea how much you've helped me in your life. When I was 17 years old, you reached in and took me and gave me a life I deserved. I said, well, you know what? If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. So I, you know, we just really heaped it on each other all morning. And she left and she turned around and she said, I'm so proud of you that I can trust you to take care of my daughter. That was the last word she said. And there's more said, but that was the last, and it was beautiful. So at this point, I think I'm going to close, and maybe we'll sing a song. Thank you for listening.